Um, we're glad you're here with us this evening. Um, today, um, we're going to be looking at uh, the faith of our founding fathers and how that's impacted our nation. But uh, before we get started, I want to ask you, um, if you haven't had a barbecue already, how many of you are planning to have a barbecue sometime this weekend? Anybody? Raise your hand if you're going to have a barbecue. Anybody? Okay, good. Hold those up for a second. <laughs> I love a good barbecue, and uh, I'm a party crasher. When I cook, I eat half the meat before it comes off the grill. I absolutely love uh, barbecues. I really enjoy uh, the 4th of July. I've got great memories of uh, camping and boating and barbecues and uh, shooting off fireworks. Uh, when I was a teenager growing up, I grew up in the backwoods of uh, Oklahoma, and uh, we didn't have any laws about fireworks back then, and so it was kind of like anything goes around my house, and uh, I've got some scars to, uh, to prove that. But uh, after Carol and I got married and we had kids, I thought uh, I had to tone down my enthusiasm <laughs> for fireworks. And I wanted to be a good example for my kids and all that. But uh, as we set aside some time uh, this weekend to remember and to celebrate um, our independence as a nation, I want to ask you a question. Where does God fit in on the 4th of July? I mean, we've got uh, Christmas. It's a story about God sending his son down to earth. We've got Easter. It's about the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the hope that we have as a result of that. But as we celebrate the 4th of July, where does God fit into this holiday? Is it like, thank you, God, for Christmas and Easter, but we really don't need you on the 4th? I mean, does God get a break on this uh, holiday? Is he a passive observer? I don't think so. You know, what's fascinating to me is that from the beginning of the foundation of our nation's independence, from the founding of our nation, there has been personal and national accountability to God that has actually impacted and formed our identity as a nation. In fact, the first settlers to America, as we saw from that video, made a covenant together through the Mayflower Compact that through their efforts they would glorify God and, and advance the Christian faith, the good news about Jesus Christ. Benjamin Franklin, actually, he's one of our founding fathers, quotes Psalm 127 from the Bible in relationship to our Constitution as a framework for building up our new nation. You know, George Washington, one of our founding fathers, and our first president, who, when addressing the concerns regarding our relationship with the Delaware Indians, said this, it would be good for us to share with them our arts, our way of life, and above all, the good news about Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? That's actually in the sentence. He actually said that. You know, it would be, it would be good for us to share the good news about Jesus Christ with them. You know, from the very beginning, from the foundation of our nation, there has been personal and national accountability to God that impacted and formed our identity. And so let me ask you this. Why does it appear that we seem to be moving away from that? You see, today, political conversation about God has fallen out of favor. I don't know any politicians that talk openly about their understanding about God and His Word and how it affects their running of our government. Separation of church and state was about protecting us from the government so that we could freely worship God without fear of control or persecution. And today it's used as a weapon to actually, in some cases, suppress the proclamation of God's Word and the building up of His church. And so clearly, bringing the idea of God into any national conversation is looked down upon. In fact... Removing God seems to be on the agenda from a political and from a national media perspective. So I want to invite you to watch this uh, brief uh, video with me of the NBC broadcast from the opening scene of the nationally televised 
U.S. Open Golf Championship. It happened uh, last week. Let's watch this. the virtues that have been passed down through generations that live on in the great halls of this country and in the shadows of the nation's capital congressional country club is poised to welcome the latest winner of america's championship it's the united states open championship began our coverage of this final round just a, about three hours ago and when we did it was our intent to begin the coverage of this u.s open championship with a feature that captured the patriotism of our national championship being held in our nation's capital for the third time regrettably a portion of the pledge of allegiance that was in that feature was edited out it was uh, not done to upset anyone and uh, We'd like to apologize to those of you who were offended by it. I wasn't offended, but, you know, you were offended, sorry. <laughs> wasn't that interesting? That was fascinating to me. You know, what role does God play on our 4th of July weekend? Has he been sidelined? You know, has he been sidelined while we enjoy a couple of rounds of golf and some, and some good barbecue or some hot dogs this weekend? You know, is he not worthy of the virtues as this video said, that have been passed down through the generations that live on in the great halls of this country, or as that video shows, has he simply been edited out? It was NBC's intent to begin their coverage with a feature that captured the patriotism of the U.S. Open, but they cut God out of the Pledge of Allegiance, and they did that on purpose. It was not an accident. It wasn't like there was somebody in the back room going, oops, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't mean to cut you know, one nation under God out. I mean, there was a decision made that resulted in an action taken. It was intentional. And if it was intentional, if somebody made a decision to do it, and it was intentional, then why did they feel the need to apologize afterwards? That's even more interesting. They had to apologize because they violated the underlying principle that at our core, we are a nation that individually and nationally is dependent on and accountable to God. You know, despite the desire of many people to move out from underneath that principle, it is an unchanging fact of our history. So why is it not cool to talk about God? Why is it not politically correct? Or more than that, why is it not socially responsible to talk about God and bring Him into a national spotlight? Is it because... Uh, it's not fair to the faith of others? Or is it because uh, it makes people feel uncomfortable? Is it because that we're so smart that now we don't need God and we've moved beyond Him? You know, I don't think it's any of those reasons. I honestly believe that we are, as a nation and individually, drifting away from God for one reason. Simple. We have too much stuff. We have been overblessed. You know, Antley Stanley from uh, North Point Church in Georgia 
I believe, rightly identifies the issue as affluence. Affluence is the abundance of property or wealth. It is an excess or an abundant flow of supply. And I believe that we are drifting away from God and that we will continue to see moral decay in this country and the lives of individuals and in our nation because affluence and because of the very independence that we actually fought for. We have become affluent and overly independent. I want to invite you to look with me at uh, what one of the authors of uh, Proverbs uh, writes in um, verse uh, chapter 20 or chapter 30, verse 7. This verse is uh, at the top of a white outline on the inside of your program. Uh, the author writes this. He says, there's two things I ask of you, O Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Please keep falsehood and lies from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Two things I ask. Keep falsehood from me or deception of lies from me. You know, help me to be a person of integrity. And then protect me from those kinds of people, those people that have a, a bad influence on me. And then second, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my what? My daily bread. Because if you give me too much, I'm going to get full and I might forget, I'm, I'm going to forget that I'm dependent on you to provide for all my needs. And if I don't get enough, I might do something uh, stupid like, you know, go out and rob or steal from others. Give me just enough. And so what is enough? What is enough? What is our daily bread? What is enough? What, what informs our ideas about what enough is? Right now, I have clothes on my back. I'll have three meals today. And I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Is that enough? I mean, what else do I need? I mean, think about this for a second. What else do I need? Is that enough? Or is there something missing from my life that I have overlooked? Because if there is, I need to know, right? What is enough? Well, what we believe individually about that question, what we believe individually influences what we believe nationally. And what we believe nationally influences what we believe individually. You know, they're related. And in both cases, I believe that we have become too independent and too affluent. And in all of our abundance, we are drifting away from God and asking, who is the Lord? You know, Jesus addresses this directly in chapter 6. In uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, he says, No one can serve two masters. Either he's going to hate one and love the other, or he's going to be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve God in money. And Jesus is not talking about a dollar bill here. You know, the NIV translates this word uh, money. It's capitalized to let you know that there's something more. You know, maybe you have a footnote on that passage in your Bible. But a better translation of that would be riches, or even better yet, worldly wealth. You cannot serve God in worldly wealth. And I believe this is at the root of why we are seeing a shift away from God. We are a nation that is increasingly, publicly, politically, and socially asking, Who is the Lord? And it's not because we really want to know Him. It's because we become so independent and so affluent that we don't want something over us limiting our freedom. This is my stuff. You know, the more affluent we become, you know what happens when you become more affluent? You become more independent. The more you have, the more you don't need. The more you, more you have, the, the more um, independent you become. And the more independent we become, the more arrogant we become. I really don't need that. The ability to say no to something. Well, the ability to just, you know, to put others off because I've got what I need. The more independent we become, the more arrogant. And the more arrogant we become, 
the less we feel like we need God or to even be able to put our trust in Him. There's no need to put our trust in Him. I've got everything that I need. And so here's the warning. There's a warning here, and there's a place for you to write this on your outline. Affluence and independence can easily move us away from our trust and devotion to God. Affluence and independence can easily move us away from our trust and our devotion to God. And I believe that that God is being moved to the side. The reason that He does not have a more more vital role in our nation, and the reason that He doesn't have a more vital day-to-day in our lives individually is because we have been so blessed. And the sad part is, is that we've been blessed by the very God that is being pushed to the side, whose word is being ignored, and whose need doesn't seem to be felt. You know, these past few months, I've had an opportunity uh, to listen to the Bible uh, uh, on an audio, uh, on a little audio journal uh, journey I'm on. And it's really stretched me personally. So I've been listening to the Bible. I like to read, uh, but I've been listening. Uh, this program is called the Version. They have an online Bible program. It's absolutely fantastic. In fact, we have a Springbrook Version group uh, where you can see our monthly memory verse. Uh, you can see what other people are reading at Springbrook, and you can share notes with each other, and you can listen to the Bible online, all from your computer, uh, your tablet, or your cell phone if you've got a data plan. Um, these are the links to that, uversion.com slash group slash Springbrook, and, uh, or you can go to our Facebook group, facebook.com slash CC. But I want to encourage you um, to check those out. They're absolutely great resources um, for you. It's a great way to you sign up for Bible reading plans, but I've been listening to this Bible um, auto, you know, you know, the audio Bible thing. And the reason it's a problem for me, uh, you know, just this personal, <laughs> is because when I'm reading the Bible, um, I have to stop. I don't know, uh, anybody that gets around me uh, enough knows that uh, I can be easily distracted. <laughs> and so when I'm reading through the Bible, I see a word that's interesting. I like to stop and I like to look it up. I like to look at passages. I like to underline it. I like to mark it up and, and ponder ideas. You know, take notes. You know, it pretty much uh, consistently takes me... Uh, two years to do a one-year Bible reading plan. <laughs> you know, listening to the Bible uh, has been hard for me because when I hear something, I want to stop. What did he just say? Oh, shoot, what's that? You know, and I, oh, I want to think about what he's saying, and so, but I can't because the, because the guy just keeps talking and talking and talking. And so it's like drinking from a fountain, you know, from a, from a funnel. You know, he just keeps talking. You can't shut him off. And so when I first started, I would start it and I'd stop it and I'd get the program all messed up. You know, but now I'm into the swing of it. And I've moved pretty quickly uh, through the first six books of the Bible. And it's been such a blessing uh, because one of the things I've been able to see is I'll be able to see more clearly um, patterns. You see, when you read straight through or as you listen to larger blocks of Scripture, you see patterns emerge that you normally wouldn't see if you stop or if you're moving around too much. And so it's been really neat for me because one of the patterns that I've seen in just the last few weeks has, that has really emerged, it's been really uh, something fascinating for me, were these cycles of God's blessing and his, and his people's disobedience. God's blessing and people's disobedience is a cycle that you see uh, throughout Scripture. God blesses the socks off of Adam and Eve. They're in the garden. They have everything they need. Their socks have been blessed off, but, you know, but it's not enough. They have to go eat that piece of fruit. You know, Pharaoh is trying to kill Moses. God protects him. He gives him safety. He gives him a wife and a family. He appears to him in a burning bush, and he blesses him in all these amazing ways. And then he says, Moses, you know, I, I need you to do something for me. And what does, what does Moses say? <laughs> I don't want to go. You know, I don't want to go send somebody else. God says, no, I want to send you. Well, if I go, you know, they won't believe me. So God, so God does these miracles, and they'll believe you. 
And he says, well, I won't know what to say. And so he says, well, I'll give you Aaron. It's over and over. You know, you'd think Moses would get it at some point, right? I mean, you just see over and over. Just, Moses didn't get it. But he ends up leading almost a million people out of slavery from Egypt. This great blessing, this great work of God has been accomplished. It's fantastic. They get to the Red Sea, a little roadblock in God's great escape plan. And what do the people say? Oh, God is great. He's going to deliver us from this. We're going to get right through here. Is that what they do? No. They grumble. They complain. They say, is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you had to lead us all the way out here to die? I mean, I wish you had just left us back there. (laughs) You know, just blessing and disobedience. The Red Sea parts. They cross to the Red Sea. They get to the other side. God has blessed them again. In an amazing way, they walked through a sea that parted. And what happens? Moses leaves them alone for a few days to go up on a mountain to get the Ten Commandments, and what do they do? Ah, forget Moses. We don't know where he went. We don't know when he's going to come back. So let us make a God that will go before us. So they took all of the plundered items that they got from Pharaoh, and out of their blessing and affluence and out of their independence they gathered up all their gold and they made a golden calf routinely throughout scripture we see the abundance of blessing out of the affluence and independence consistently cycle contempt indifference and disobedience to god and to his word we need to resolve in our hearts today in this generation nationally and in our lives personally not to allow this pattern to occur, either now or through our children. And so how do we do that? Well, towards the end of his life, Moses uh, comes to understand um, how damaging affluence and uh, independence are to our relationship with God. And he has an opportunity to teach this lesson to the Israelites. Moses and a whole generation of, of ungrateful Israelites have been wandering through the desert for 40 years because they messed up with the golden calf. They don't get to go into the promised land because of their disobedience. Moses is one of the few um, older guys left, and God prompts him to give this little uh, you know, pep talk, a speech, kind of a reminder about some of the lessons that God taught him along the way. And as you move into the book of Deuteronomy, in chapter 8, Moses is sharing these biblical principles um, for godly living. And uh, he's been sharing this message that he has for them. And this message is so relevant for where we are today, individually as a nation. I want to look at those with you um, this evening. If you brought your Bible with you, um, you can turn with me to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8. And I want to begin reading uh, with verse 6. There's a couple of passages. We'll put them up along the way. I'm not going to put it up for a while. But uh, we'll be looking at these along the way. Uh, But this is Moses, and he's talking to the next generation of people that are soon going to be entering the promised land. And uh, what would he want them to know and remember before he's gone? He says this in verse 6. He says, I want you to uh, make sure that you observe the commands of the Lord your God. And then here's the key in the relationship between us and God. He says, walk in His ways and revere Him. We are to observe the commands of the Lord. We are to walk in His ways. We do that first and then what? What do we do next? We revere Him. We're to give Him His rightful place in our lives. Two things. Keep His commands and revere Him. We have the law and we have reverence for God. We have law and we have awe. You know, it rhymes. You know, forget law and order. What we have here is something much more important. We need to resolve in our hearts to keep God's 
awe and, uh, and, and live in awe of him. And there's a place for you to write that on the, uh, the back of your uh, uh, outline. Now, I don't want you to miss something here. Because uh, when you read the writings of the founding fathers, as you read the writings of the founders of our nation, this is what you find. We are going to be a nation, not with kings and not with queens. We are going to be a nation of laws. We're going to be a nation of laws, but we're also going to be a nation that that lives in awe of our Creator who established and stands behind our awe. That was an innate sense of what those founding fathers had when they drafted our our Constitution. And no matter what others say in our culture, those are the facts, and they are unchanging. We are one nation under God. And I don't care when it became our motto, and I don't care when it got put on the back of the dollar bill, but men and women throughout history have given their lives to defend our freedom so that we, the people, this United States of America, might have justice, domestic tranquility, and blessings of liberty. God has blessed America. Amen. All the more reason for us to adhere to and observe his laws and sit in awe of of him. And then beginning in verse 7, Moses tells us next generation uh, to do this. For the Lord your God is bringing you into the land, a land with streams and pools of water, with springs flowing in the valleys and in the hills. And he goes on to tell them about all the ways that God is going to bless their socks off. And then in verse 10, and this is on your outline, it says this. When you have eaten and you are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Moses warns them, when God brings you into this new land and he blesses you abundantly and he provides for you in all your ways, when you get there and things are much better than they were when you left, when things are so much better than what you see when you look around, don't forget to be grateful for all the ways that God has blessed you. We need to resolve in our hearts to be grateful to God in all things. Now, why did God have to remind them to be grateful? In light of all they've seen, you know, why is the reminder there uh, for them to be grateful? Why is that reminder for us there? Why is it important that we stop to be grateful for everything that God gives us? It's simple. Because it's human nature for us to look around and think, look what we have done. Look what I did. You know, remember, out of blessing, out of the abundance of blessing comes what? The abundance of blessing and influence consistently cycles contempt, indifference, and disobedience to God and to His Word. So it's important for us to stop and to be grateful to God. And as you move down into verse 11, Moses says this, Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe His commands, His laws, and His decrees that I am giving to you this day. You know, there it is again. You know, uh, he repeats himself in a different way. You know, he says, it, he says it almost the same thing. He says, look, be careful not to forget the Lord your God. Be in awe of him. And in all things, don't forget to keep his law. And then in verse 12, it says, otherwise, if you do, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses, and when you settle down, and when things are good, and when your herds and your flocks grow larger, and your silver and gold increase, and your stocks are doing well, and you've got money in your checkbook, or you've got food going on, and all you have is multiplied in your heart, you will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of that land of slavery. Moses is warning them not to become proud. Because if you become proud, you're going to forget. When things get good, arrogance sets in. 
Affluence and abundance are the enemies of humility. When we think about what we have done, what has been done with our own hands, when we think about what everything that we have, when we think that's ours, you know what happens? You're not accountable to anyone. I've worked hard for this. Hands off. This is mine. I don't have to share. This is my stuff. I worked hard for it. One of the reasons for moral decay and shifting away from God is because of all our stuff. We think everything that we have is ours. And the tighter we hold on to our stuff, the more that hoarding sets in. And the more injustice we see. And with injustice brings new laws. And God gets further and further pushed to the side. And you know what? This is not a system problem. We can't look outside and say, oh, the system's messed up. The problem is that we have forgotten the Lord our God. And the affluence and independence is set in. And Moses would continue to remind the Israelites. He'd remind them of all that God has done. Don't forget. Don't forget. Look at everything he did. And Moses just goes on to continue uh, to remind them of everything that God's done and delivering them out of Egypt. And then look what he says in verse 17. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is him who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. Remember the Lord your God. Everything that you have came from him. No, pride and humility don't mix. They're like oil and water. And so we need to resolve in our hearts today to have humility before God. We need to have humility before God. Moses would conclude uh, with verse 19. Uh, These are not on your outline, but he says this. If you ever forget the Lord your God, and you follow other gods, and you worship, and you bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed. Like the nations the Lord destroyed before you, so you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. Man, aren't you glad you're not like the Israelites? (laughs) Moses is testifying against them. If you don't get this right, you will fall. You will be destroyed like all the nations before you. You know, I'd like to think, uh, if I was staying in that crowd and I heard that, I think I would be looking around going, hey, did, uh, did I get that right? Did, did everybody hear that? Because, <laughs> hey, uh, guys and gals, we're all going down together. <laughs> and so we got this individual accountability for what just got given to us. You know, uh, I have to do my part, but hey, you got to do yours too. Individually and as a nation, we've got to keep our eyes on God. I read an article yesterday from a guy named uh, Francis Tremblay. He is a highly educated, influential, modern-day atheist. <laughs> he wrote an article after 9-11, and uh, it was fascinating. He says this, The World Trade Center attack uh, had more than a military, political, and economical impact. It also reshaped the religious battlefield. It would seem that religion has benefited temporarily from 9-11. He estimates that church attendance at service uh, increased 25% up to 50% the next week. Gallup found that the percentage of Americans who said religion was important to them increased almost 20%. By some estimates, the Sunday following the terror, terror attacks, roughly one half of the adult population in the United States goes to a religious service. He goes on to say in his article, this is to be expected because religion, he thinks, preys on human weakness. That's why all their conversions occur during adulthood or, or when adults are at a the most vulnerable point in their lives. He says that's okay, though, because the religious high fell rapidly, and a year later, 
Everything is back to normal with their church. Their prayer, their Sunday school, their attendance, and religious importance has dropped all that it gained. Things are back to normal. Now those are the words, those are the observations from someone that doesn't believe in God, that doesn't go to church, someone that doesn't even know if God exists, made those observations. I don't know. Maybe he works at NBC. <laughs> Maybe he's the reason One Nation Under God didn't, didn't got cut out of that film. You know, I don't know. But I do know this. The battle is not out there. The battle is not out there. The enemy's out there, but he is winning the battle with a consistent, steady resolve on turning people's eyes and hearts away from God. And we, as a people of God, have got to be prepared to stand firm against that. And I absolutely love the words of Paul. In his second letter to the church in Thessalonica, he says, we should always remember and give thanks that God called us into a relationship with Christ. Don't forget that. First and foremost, remember and celebrate the fact that God has called us into a relationship with Himself through Jesus Christ. And then in uh, chapter 2, he writes this beginning in verse 15. So because of that truth, Brothers, stand firm and hold to the teachings we pass on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and the God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. We need to stand firm to keep our eyes focused on Jesus Christ. Keep our hearts focused on him we need to resolve in our minds to keep our hearts focused to keep god's law and to live in awe of him and and to be grateful towards god in all things and and we need to have humility before god and we need to not rely on ourselves and we need to stand firm in our faith and who we are in jesus christ you know interestingly enough after moses gets done giving this talk to the uh the israelites this next generation of israelites you know he gives them this great speech and Everyone's all pumped up and they're ready to go and take the promised land. And then what happens? You know, Moses dies. Before he dies, he turns his leadership over to Joshua. <laughs> and so Joshua, the new leader, steps in. You know, and everyone is pumped up and they are ready to go into this new land. And at the beginning of the book of Joshua, um, the people pray. They're getting ready to go into the new land. They, they, they set themselves apart. They consecrate themselves. They pray and uh and the Ark of the Covenant is going to go before them as they prepare to go into the Promised Land. And they're going to, they're going to hit the, the River Jordan and they're going to have to make a decision there. But listen to the scene of what happens to me with the Israelites. It's from Joshua chapter 3, uh, beginning in verse 14. When the people broke camp to get ready to go into the Promised Land, to cross the Jordan, the priests are carrying the Ark of the Covenant uh, ahead with them. And now the Jordan is at flood stage during the harvest. And so what's happening here is everybody's getting ready to go into the promised land. They're all pumped up. They're all ready to go. And they get to the River Jordan, and uh, there's a flood. What do you think it looks like? This is a picture of uh, a flooding bank of the Potomac River at Great Falls, Maryland. <coughs> it looks a lot more impressive when you're looking at it on your computer screen. It is a massive flood. Now, I don't know exactly what uh, what they encountered when they, when they got to the river. But this... Uh, this is pretty intimidating. And so here's Joshua. He's led these people to the Jordan. The river's at flood stage. And uh, uh, what do you think Joshua did? You know, what did Moses do when he hit the Red Sea? You know, Joshua, when, and when the people get to the, Reds, when they get to the Jordan River, it says they did this. 
as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan River and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. What happened? They got to the river. Did they stop? No. Did they complain? No. Did they get there and think, man, that looks really bad. Maybe we should pray before we step into the water. No. They had already done that. They were on a mission. And when they got to that water's edge, when they got there, their feet hit the water. They stepped right into it. Man, that is trusting God. Go back to that picture. If I were to say, women, get your children. Guys, get your all your stuff. Let's cross the river. I mean, how many of you are going to jump into this river with me? <laughs> that is trust in God. A lot of people believe in God, but do not trust Him. You know what trust is? Trust is acting on your faith. Trust is acting on what you believe to be true. Trust means I'm going to run right up and jump into that winter because I know God's going to provide for me. He's going to take care of me. Trust is walking up to a river and stepping into it. And so this evening I want to ask you, what rivers do you have in your life? Where do you need to trust God? What is your river Jordan? Do you trust trust God with your job, with your marriage, with your kids, with your finances? Trusting is uh, trusting in God is 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 not just acknowledging Him in the pledge of allegiance. Trusting in God is not arguing about whether or not He should be on the back of our dollar bill. Trusting in God is acting on what we know to be true. It goes on in verse sixteen. The water from upstream stopped flowing; it piled up in a heap a great distance away, in a town called Abraham, in the vicinity of uh, Zathran. While the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah comes, just stops. It's completely cut off. You know, it's amazing. You know, they run to this river. They jump in. The water stops. They all cross. You know, <laughs> you would think after hearing this great speech from Moses, after hearing these great words from Moses, after seeing this miracle, after reflecting back on all that God had done, and then seeing this great miracle of just walking through the River Jordan, that they would not forget the Lord their God. You would think that, wouldn't you? That they and their children would celebrate and remember that day, that that would be a day in infamy, and that they would stand firm in their faith. Listen to what happens after they get into the new land. God blesses them like He promised. The people have faithfully served God. And a few years later, Joshua dies. And uh, we've got this uh, next generation that has been raised up. And uh, the next book after Joshua is Judges. And then you go into chapter 2, and in verse 10 it says this. After the whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what they had done for Israel. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord the God. They served the balls. They forsook their God, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of Egypt, who had taken them across the Jordan, and they followed and they worshipped various gods of the peoples all around them. They provoked the Lord to anger because they forsook him and served all in the Athrothins. They just started serving other gods. They made their golden calves. I mean, after all this, and the Lord's anger burned against them, and they were destroyed, just like God said he was going to do. Out of the blessing, out of the affluence, and independence, cycled contempt, indifference, and disobedience to God. His word. And we are at a critical point in our history where we still have an opportunity to influence the direction of our nation. 
whatever level of influence you have with those around you, this is not the time to lose your nerve. Especially with your children. With your children at home, maybe it's with your parents, your friends, maybe it's with your co-workers, your neighbors, those you go to school with, take an opportunity to talk about what God has done in your life. Take an opportunity to share what Jesus Christ has done. And let us individually and as a nation have our trust in God. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, it says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. You know what the first step towards trusting God with your life is? It's to put your faith in Jesus Christ. If you have not had an opportunity to do that, you'll want to start there. Because we are in this together, man. And that's where it starts. And so if you can't say today, my faith is in Jesus Christ. I have trusted Him as my Lord and Savior. That is your first step. You need to do that today. And if you have questions about that, I would love the opportunity to talk with you. I didn't put this up on the outline, but on the back, you can just uh, you know write under comments, write uh, Christ. Just write Jesus' name on there. And uh, make sure your contact information is on the front. I would love the opportunity to talk with you about how to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And then subsequent to that is baptism. You know, baptism is a great way for you to publicly confess your faith in Christ. I talk to people all the time. I mean, I had this conversation three times last week. You know, about baptism, if you have not been baptized through immersion, it doesn't take anything away from you if you were baptized as an infant. Baptism is an opportunity for us to confess Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. It's an opportunity to be baptized the way Jesus was. It's the biblical example for why we do it. And so it seems like we talk about it a lot. And sometimes I feel like, you know, like, oh, man, he's going to talk about it again. It's important. It's First of all, it's a celebration. It's exciting. It's an opportunity for us to confess Jesus, Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And as a church, celebrate who we are together in Christ. That's what the body of Christ is. People that have come together to, to worship God, who are excited about who they are in Christ. And that's why we are here. And then other people get to sprinkle in, and they're checking it out, and you know, people filter into church for a variety of reasons. But we are here because of the hope that we have in Christ, to celebrate that, to worship Him. And we've got to make sure that it's clear, because in our culture, it's not clear. People are looking into the church, and they're like, I might as well go to the gym. We've got to be clear about what it is we're supposed to be doing. Our membership class is an opportunity to hear firsthand Pastor Dan's heart for our vision, mission, and values for our church. It is critical that we understand that. We've got to work together. If you take two horses and you hook them up to either end of a cart and they're pulling in opposite directions, we're not going anywhere. And so we've got to get on the same page where we're headed together as a church. And some of you have a some of you have great faith and you have great stories. And you need to pass those down to the next generation. Our kids need to hear what God has done. Through your stories of faithfulness, we are encouraged. And as an older generation to a younger generation, you've got to pass those stories down and encourage that next generation. Some of you just need to start sharing your faith and sharing what God's done with that next generation. And there's many of you that are qualified and able to lead a small group. That is a great way to get together and talk about what God's doing and celebrate that and study God's Word. And if you're interested in hosting a small group, I'd love the opportunity to talk to you about that. We're getting ready to go into fall, and Pastor Dan is going to be off for the next month, and he's going to be praying and and being refreshed and refocused, 
And when he comes back in the fall, we're going to be looking at starting a new series. And we are praying for people that would be willing to open up their home and host a small group. A great way to encourage one another and build one another up. And so I don't know where you are this morning. And, uh, you know, that's one of the issues when you think about, you know, the individually and as a nation thing, it's hard when all those things uh, come together to try and figure out, you know, where everybody's at. Everybody's at different places. I want to encourage you this morning, wherever you are, to take that next step of obedience and glorify God with your life. As we come together and celebrate this 4th of July weekend, now let's make this a 4th of July weekend like no other. In addition to enjoying our barbecue and enjoying our fireworks, let us look for opportunities to glorify God. Would you pray with me? Father, I just want to thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. And uh, God, we're looking forward to the great things that you're going to do in and through our lives. And uh, God, I just I look back at the uh, unfaithfulness of the Israelites. It's easy to say, man, I'm glad I'm not like them. Uh, but at the same time, Lord, I recognize that there are things, uh, even in my own life, that are a temptation. And God, I just pray that you would guard our hearts and our eyes and our minds. May we be a people that seeks first and foremost after you. And uh, God, we are thankful for... Uh, this weekend, we're thankful for the independence that you've given us, for the freedoms that we enjoy. Uh, God, may we not take those for granted. And may we individually have an influence on our nation. God, may we influence them and not be influenced by them. And God, I just pray that you would continue to increase our faith. We pray all these things in the precious name.